0: If God is uh, trying to take you somewhere, lead you into a new place or a new thing, and you wonder if he will be faithful, uh, he will. (laughs) He'll take you to the door and through the door. Thank you, Victoria. We hear from uh, Jesus' red letters uh, according to Matthew's gospel today. If you want to take a Bible and turn back there, uh, Matthew chapter 6, the passage that Elizabeth read for us, like the parable of the the Good Samaritan that we looked at last Sunday morning. Here is another in Matthew six. This is another of uh, you might say Jesus' greatest hits. <laughs> um, there his or some of his most well known teachings, uh, and they're likely well known because they speak to the deepest parts of our need. Passages like this. Last Sunday morning, we looked at the implications of the Good Samaritan's choice and an action as it related to race relations. Uh, and we said that if Christ followers today would, by the power of his Spirit, really get serious about breaking the barriers built up by presumption and prejudice, if we would simply do as Jesus described the Samaritan here doing. The, uh, the story after story after story of racial conflict in our world would all but disappear from the news. Uh, and instead, the, it would be the Bible's red letters, Jesus' words. Jesus' call to love and pray for all peoples, even those that hurt us. That would take over the world's headlines. Look at what those Christians are doing over there. Love to see that in the news. His kingdom coming. And his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And especially uh, those of us who have tasted the bitterness of prejudice. We long for that day. We long for that day to come. Uh, Now here in Matthew, Jesus has just finished saying that those who follow him need not worry about storing up excessive wealth and resources. In fact, Jesus says, we have to guard ourselves carefully against loving money and serving it as our master, since there can only be, he says in verse 24 there, one master in a person's life. God does not share that role, the role of master, with anyone or with anything. And so Jesus is, calls all who follow him to decide to trust in God's resources for our future and for our well-being and for our care. He's already said all that. Then he gives the rationale for why we should do that. That's what today's text is about. It answers the question Jesus anticipates we might ask, the question of can God be trusted to take care of me? Can I trust God to take care of me? Now, let me say some through history have distorted this passage and they've tried to make it into some sort of divine license to not work. Uh, In fact, early on, there were some in Thessalonica who apparently behaved this way. They, They expected to receive something from God without doing anything at all themselves. So I want to be clear about this. Jesus here is not diminishing the need for our own hard work or for our reasonable planning for the future. There's plenty of other scripture passages, in fact, that speak to the wisdom of those sorts of things. Jesus is not diminishing those things here. What Jesus is saying here is that when we trust God with our lives, we have no need to live in anxiety or worry about what the future holds for us. Now, Jesus is certainly speaking about specifically financial anxiety here. That That is very clear. But, you know, worries about the future, which are very common in our day, are not just financial and by extension, Jesus could very well be talking about things like worries about growing old or, or not being in control of ourselves or in control of our decisions, worries about poverty, about where our family is heading or where our economy is heading or where our nation is heading, worries about being sick, worries about who will care for us. And then ultimately, you know, the big worry that our culture is filled with today is the worry and the fear of death and dying. Jesus says that as one of his followers, we have no reason whatsoever to let worries about these things take over our lives. Because for one thing, he says being anxious doesn't do one thing to actually help us. What Jesus declares there in verse 27 has been proven by science, hasn't it? Over and over and over again in our day today. Worrying about things that we can't do anything about not only doesn't help us, it actually hurts us. It leads to all kinds of mental, emotional, relational, even physical problems. And illnesses, being anxious over things that we can't control, makes no good sense at all. Now you say, well, okay, but it's, it's not like I choose to worry. Worry just seems to kind of come over me, you know. Yes. And that is a temptation that Jesus says, we've got to fight against. And we fight that temptation with the intentional choice To trust God in this or this or this or this. It's the conscious choice to make God our master that leads us to peace. Instead of choosing to make money, financial resources, our master, which Jesus says, leads to anxiety. The paths to each master lead in opposite directions. And so we've got to choose which direction we're going to walk. And when temptation comes to us to turn and walk, we have to choose. No, we are walking this way. Jesus says, as, as one of his followers, we have no reason to give ourselves to anxiety. First, because it doesn't do any good in the first place. And second, because we can choose to trust God. But. That choice to trust God then leads us again to the question, why should I trust God? Or can God be trusted to take care of me? And so Jesus gives us the reason we should trust God. He shows us that God makes his trustworthiness evident in nature. Jesus goes on, he says, consider the birds of the air, consider the flowers of the field. Take a good look, a good Thoughtful look at the birds and the flowers. Notice that God feeds them and God clothes them in grand fashion. They don't lack anything, do they? Now, first, we may not find his argument very compelling. You know, we think, okay, sure, you know, birds and flowers. They don't worry about life, but they don't have a mortgage. And they don't have a car payment. And they don't have grocery bills and utility bills to keep them awake at night. That bird chirping outside my window this morning, he's not going to get an invoice from Kentucky Utilities in a couple weeks. When Jesus says, look at the birds, you know, we're tempted to say, no, look at the bills. (laughs) But here is the key truth. In this anti-anxiety prescription of Jesus, okay? Here's the key thing. Verse 26 there. Jesus says, you and me and all humans, we are way more valuable than birds. We are way more valuable than birds and plants. He alludes to that on down. Uh, with the flowers in verse 30, he says, If God takes such good care of flowers, which are here one day and burned the next, then how much better will He care for us? Implying very obviously, we who are worth so much more than plants. You see, the secret to understanding what Jesus is saying here in all of this the whole basis of his argument is the immense value God places on human life. In fact, to even make such an outlandish comparison that birds and flowers are anywhere near as valuable to God as people are, the ridiculousness of that notion is exactly what gives Jesus' declaration here its weight. It's heft. It's what catches our attention. Now, don't get me wrong, okay? It's not that God doesn't like animals and plants. I mean, he made them. And he says they're good. And we are called and we are bound to appreciate anything that God makes and calls good. But humans, his special creation that he made in his image. We're a whole different thing, you see. Humans are on a different plane. We're we're at a different level. Now, those Jews who Jesus was speaking to here in in, in Matthew, they already understood that people were way more important than animals and plants. They, they, They knew that. It's true that there were people in Jesus' day who abused other people, and they enslaved them, and they even murdered them. But Israel, by and large, and there were some within the bounds of Judaism too, but by and large, Israel was different in most of those ways than the cultures around them. And those to whom Jesus is speaking here, they knew, they may not have followed it always, but they knew God's order of value. Jesus is just reminding them of it here. He's reinforcing in them, That based on that reality, the value that God places on human life, based on that, well, then they can trust God implicitly with their futures. And so, of course, can you and I. No anxiety necessary. Believing that God values human life above all else. That was no shock to Jesus' first century audience. But let me tell you, it is a shock to many people today in our world, in our culture. And yet our world needs to discover and embrace God's value of human life if it has any hope at all of experiencing any sort of comprehensive health and peace that it is desperately seeking. Our world is Desperately looking for that. The fact is, we devalue ourselves when we devalue other people. We hurt ourselves when we hurt other people. And God does not want this. He does not want this. For everybody's sake, we need to understand that God does not like it when people take it upon themselves to destroy what he made and what he thinks is very good. God doesn't like that. When we choose to murder another person because we don't like them, or because we don't want them to be around us, or because they are inconvenient to us, or because they cramp our style, we are walking on very thin ice with God. And this includes all people. All people. It's true regardless of race, as we talked about last week. But it's also true regardless of age, whether they are very old and have become, according to many in our culture, no longer useful, or whether they are very young, including people who are unborn or pre-born or still percolating, however you want to say it, okay? For the good of all people... Even those who may disagree with us at the moment, Christ followers must defend the value of human life. For everyone's good. Our world needs to hear. And our world needs to understand God's position. And it's up to his followers to present it. Now, let me say, we have not always done that well. Uh, We need to learn to say it winsomely. Without the arrogance and the superiority that often drips from the pro-life message. But we cannot shrink back from the fact of it either. We cannot do that because it's truth. And because realizing the value of human life is part of God's goal of redemption for our world. it's, it's it's, It's enmeshed in it. Realizing... And then coming into alignment with God on the value of human life is part of God's way to peace. Eternal peace. Now, of course, his value of the unborn is the normal topic of Sanctity of Life Sunday. That is today. We we set this day aside to, in some cases, remind people, remind ourselves. uh, In other cases, to announce So people might hear for the first time the message that God highly values all human life. And and that this fact is not just the foundational truth of what Jesus is teaching here, but it's also the foundational truth of any sustainable, peaceful, confident human existence. Because you see, when one person can legitimately dismiss the value of the life of another person, well then what's to keep another person from dismissing the value of that person's life, right? There's nothing to keep that from happening, so ultimately it's a position that leads to death. But you know, I want to say there's more to sanctity of life. There's more to being pro-life than just being anti-abortion. And this is one thing that a lot of us pro-life people need to understand because our inconsistency on this damages us in the eyes of actually a growing percentage of our society. Pro-life people tend to make our position one about taking the life of the innocent, those who can't fight back. And certainly it's true that God frowns mightily upon the injustice of that. But you see, what Jesus is saying here in this text is that God's interest in life goes way past unborn babies. And that is something pro-life people don't always seem to realize (laughs) or at least communicate. We who are pro-life, we just don't understand how many who are on the other side of the abortion issue can turn around and stand up so fiercely in defense of the lives of migrants, minorities, the impoverished, those who have been displaced, those who suffer from war. And on and on. That seems inconsistent to us. How come you kill babies but you stand up for the life of these people? But you see, just the same. There are pro-choice people who don't understand why pro-life people who are so vocal about abortion just seem to be able to go on and live their good lives while absolutely ignoring the needs of the poor all around them and the homeless and the orphans and the addicts and the imprisoned and on and on and on. They don't understand how we can march for pro-life, but then under our breath we curse that beggar at the corner and we insult the person who disagrees with us politically, economically, morally. We wish death upon those we see as enemies. We ignore at best and we condemn at worst those who are suffering because of past choices they have made. You see, some of us Christians, we say we're pro-life, but we're not pro-all life. But God is. God is. God is pro-all human life. Yes, he cares about the unborn. And he is grieved and he is angered by those who dispose of unborn life. So, callously and carelessly. But God also cares just as much about those who are born. He cares about the lives of the born but suffering. He cares about the born who are different. He cares about the born who've been abused. He cares about the born who've made mistakes in their lives and are now struggling because of them. He cares about the ones who are looking for a warm place even today. God cares about those born into generational poverty or addiction, about those who are imprisoned, those who are trying to escape tyranny, to find a place where their children might just have a better life than they've had. God cares about those in our world who have never seen a real example of who he is. He wants all of them to know him and to know that he cares about them and that he loves them way more than birds and flowers. He wants them to know that his own son died for them. And the way they come to know all of that is through us. We who know him and we who have experienced his mercy. He wants us. God wants us, his church, to show them that he is pro-life, pro-their life so they might find Jesus and live forever with him. Now, please, I'm not in any way saying that we should just throw open the jails and the drug houses and the borders, okay? Not at all. We need laws, we need order, we need financial responsibility, we need sensible solutions. And I'm not saying the job of dealing with the immense Consequences of sin in our world is in any way simple. It's, it's not. What I am saying is that it's important for we who know and represent Jesus to our world to remember that to God, pro-life is not just about abortion. God's pro-lifeness is way broader than that. It includes it But it's way broader than that. And I fear that the hypocrisy of a big chunk of Christianity regarding life is not only harming our witness to the unsaved world around us, but it has the potential to put us in the unenviable position of standing before God one day and trying to explain how we managed to say we were pro-life regarding the unborn while we totally ignored the needs of the born who heard all around us and those are the very needs that make up so many of the headlines today so many are about a more comprehensive pro-lifeness than we tend to even see anymore Now, of course, abortion itself made tons of headlines, especially a couple years ago when our Supreme Court thankfully overturned Roe versus Wade, at least giving the decision back to the states. But the news about the value of life goes on in our world, you know, Uh, just a few of the headlines about the sanctity of life from one news source over three days, three days. The welfare state robs Peter to pay Peter. Palestinian pay for slay keeps growing. Abortion views changing for Republicans. GOP border negotiator urges patience. Drug costs for seniors now have cap. Helping the homeless with rebuilt bicycles. Plan aims to cut home buying costs. Tax deal would aid businesses and families. Migrant care costs billions more in New York. Palestinian death toll in Gaza tops 25,000. Kim declares South Korea number one enemy. Perils grow for Israel and refugees. My one-year-old cousin is Hamas's hostage. The high cost of Trump-Biden tariffs. Cold overwhelm shelters nationwide. Children's death tied deaths. Tied to cult leader. That's that's just a tiny, tiny few. You see, every page is the religion page to us. Because God values life. Jesus values life. He raised people from the dead. He valued people's good. Most of his miracles had to do with healing in some way or another. So if we are to call ourselves Jesus, people, his body... We have to value life, all human life. We have to broaden our pro-lifeness to fit God's definition. Just as it's a lack of belief to think that God doesn't care about our lives, as Jesus is telling us here, that's what he's saying. It's also a lack of belief to think God doesn't care about the lives of others. God wants us to realize there's a lot more to pro life. There's a lot more to sanctity of life than just unborn life. And I think he wants to know how we're holding sacred the lives of those around us. The unborn baby in the womb, the woman who aborted the baby in a moment of fear and grief. And every other human soul who's struggling and grieving and fearful today. That's the sort of pro-life that reveals to the world who God really is and how much he really cares. So where, where have you, where have I missed God's concern for life? Is his spirit pointing out some specific place? Maybe, maybe it's a person, maybe it's a type of person, maybe it's a group of people. Is he pointing out some specific place in you, in me? Saying, hey, you know, you've been real vocal about this, but you haven't said anything about this. You don't seem to care about these. If he's doing that, let me, let me tell you, he's, he's, he's pushing at us there. Because he wants to make all of us. God wants to make all of his church as pro-life as he is. That, that's, that's a good thing that he's pointing that out. He wants to make his church as pro-life as he is. So we can understand the depth of his love. For us. And. So the unbelieving world might really see him in our concern for both their life here on earth and their life forever, their eternal life. If God is, is, is touching on something in you, don't ignore that. Don't push that away. You know, just admit it. Just say, Lord, yeah, I've been pro-life in these ways, but I, man, I haven't been pro-life in this at all. I haven't thought one thought about those people or that person Or anything I've thought about those people has been negative. It's never been positive, and yet you're telling me you love them. And Lord, our prayer is that you would help us to love them. That you would pour your love into us. That you would redefine the way we think about life and pro-life and about people, the born, who are struggling in the world all around us. And Lord, take our concern... And put it into action in some way that you communicate to us. You, you, you probably don't want all of us here to do exactly the same thing in exactly the same way. You tailor make ministry for those who will follow you. And so I pray that you would tailor make that ministry. Pro-life ministry in us however you choose. Lord, we give ourselves to you for that purpose because we don't want to miss you on this. We want to be as pro-life as you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.